And everybody said Monday's coming. Monday is when reality hits. Monday is when Sunday is tested. Monday is when faith has to work. What we are doing inside these walls allow us to handle, prosper, and not just survive, but thrive all week long. What are you doing inside these walls? Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Hey, did you guys know now that it's November, we got 53 days till Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about Christmas. And now that we got the kids all excited, if you are a child in your ages six to sixth grade, would you go ahead and stand up on your feet? You can make your way out to Live Wires. Let's give it up for them this morning. Yeah. Awesome. Man, I still feel like a kid on Christmas Day. I don't know what it is. It's just the way I grew up. I love Christmas. Hey, we are in week four of Inside These Walls. It's been an incredible series so far. And uh, the first week, we talked about your, your living room, walking into the culture of your home, and uh, not just physically the culture of your home, but inside your heart, inside your life, the culture of your home. Week two, we talked about the kitchen with Isaiah. Uh, don't let your chit-chat become spit-chat. I love that. That's so good. Talking about how powerful your words are. And then the third week, last week, you guys heard from, from Tori, our young adults pastor, incredible word on uh, the bathroom dealing with identity and what you see in the mirror. Is it what you see? Is it what other other people tell about you, or is it what God says about you? Is it who he calls you? And this week, as you can see, we are in the basement. And uh, I know some of you right now, you can relate to what's going on up here. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about, I've entitled this, Ain't No Shame in My Game, Ain't No Shame in His Name. Come on. Come on, somebody. And uh, this, is a, this is like a, a two-facet uh, a, a sermon, I guess, dealing with the basement. And uh, before we get into this thing, I want to ask you, if I were to walk into your house today, if you were to take me into your basement, and for those of you who don't have a basement, maybe you would take me uh, into your closet or your storage room, or maybe even the trunk of your car uh, can tell me a lot about who you are. And, and I want to show you a picture. Does this first picture look like your basement that you live with in your home not that one. Not that one. The other one. The other basement. The first basement. The other magic basement that's going to come up in two, that basement right there. Can you relate with this basement? Some of you are like cringing inside saying, oh my word, how do people live like that? Honestly, I've had the opportunity to clean out some basements that looked very similar to this. Not going to lie, it was an incredible experience. I'm not going to name names. Don't want to hurt feelings. And then the second one, does your basement look like this one, the one that we just saw a few seconds ago, the very clean, neat, organized basement, and, and then you feel that sigh of relief, you know, the weight lifted off your shoulders. I don't know if you're like I am. I'm kind of OCD about that stuff. I love organization. I love things to be orderly. Which basement does yours look like? That's the question today. What does it look like? And, and, and how many of us deal with basements in our lives, in our personal lives, in our hearts that are full of all that junk? And, and maybe God's asking today if we're prepared to clean it out. I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with cheese. And not just like any uh, old cheese, not like, especially not the craft the singles. I am not about that junk. Not about it. Sticks to the roof of my mouth, annoys the mess out of me. I can't do it. It's, it's not good. I'm talking about the cheese that's like that block cheese that you can cut a slice off, and oh, man, that is the good stuff right there. And a lot of people put it on like crackers or sandwiches or whatever, but I, I was kind of a weird kid. I don't think much has changed since then. But um, I used to stick my cheese in salsa. So I would have sliced up cheese. Come on, we can relate right now. Uh, I would have sliced up cheese, and I would dip it in salsa, and I loved it. I mean, it would be like my snack. I would eat it for meals, crazy stuff. And I remember growing up, I was a very picky eater, but my parents were good parents because they wouldn't just let me get away with that. If I didn't like a meal, guess what? I wasn't going to eat. 
And I think that's good parenting. You need to implement that today. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm not preaching. That's not biblical. But, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I love this cheese, and I remember one night, my dad, I think he was feeling generous because it never happened like this, but whatever my mom was making, I didn't want, and I was not going to eat it and not feeling it. And so I said, Dad, can I please have some cut-up cheese so I can dip it in my salsa? And he's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do that tonight. This is not happening all the time, but we're going to do that tonight. And so he put the cheese in front of me, and, and I'm, I'm beginning to take a bite of my cheese, and I smelled the most foul disgusting, dirty foot smell I've ever smelled in my life. And I was like, Dad, I can't eat this dirty foot cheese. Smell this stuff. And he's like, hey, you asked for it. That's what you want. That's what you're going to get. So I began to conceive in my mind, how am I going to get rid of this cheese without actually eating it? And at the time, we didn't own a dog, so it wasn't like slipping a piece of cheese to the dog. So I came up with this brilliant idea, brilliant idea. I was going to take that cheese, and when my dad wasn't looking, when he was walking away to the kitchen or doing whatever he was going to do, I would take that cheese, and I would stick it, I would mush it underneath my chair. Brilliant, brilliant idea. I don't know what was going through my mind, because it's not like biodegradable. It's not going to disintegrate and disappear, and, uh, you know, just like, it's, it's going to be found out somehow. I don't know what was going on in my mind, so I shoved this cheese underneath there, and I was like, okay, Dad, I'm done. And he's like, okay, you can go play, do whatever you do. And uh, the next day we come to eat lunch as a family, and there is this foul, dirty foot smell coming from our dining room. And everybody's like, what is that disgusting smell? And I'm like, what smell? I don't smell anything. I, I, I think you guys, you know, maybe it's your upper lip. I'm not sure what you had to eat before now, but it's, I don't know, I don't smell anything. And so I endured the smell so that I could eat my meal without being caught. And a few days go by of that, and finally it kind of dissipates. I forget about it. Saturday rolls around, and uh, Saturday for us was cleaning day. And so we were all, you know, joining in cleaning. I was kind of near my room cleaning some baseboards, you know, because them things get dirty. It's crazy. Until you're a homeowner, you don't know how dirty baseboards get. It's insane. Uh, so clean those. That's important. Uh, so I'm cleaning my baseboards, and my mom is in the kitchen cleaning. My dad is in the dining room. He's on mop duty. And mop duty for us means that you take the chairs, everything off the floor, and put it onto the table. And when you take the chairs and put it on the table, you have to turn it upside down so they don't fall off and, and they can all fit. And I'm cleaning my baseboards, and I hear my name, and it's not just my first name. It's my whole name, and you know when your whole name gets called, you in trouble. You know what I'm saying? And so I hear, Landon, Chase, get in this dining room. So I come, I run in there. I'm like, what's going on? He's like standing in front of the chair, and he's like, how in the world did this mush cheese get under this chair? And being the good kid I was, I said, well, Dad, I have no idea. That is the strangest thing I've ever seen. I did not know you could grow cheese underneath a chair. And uh, obviously, I had to pay for my consequences. Uh, I got the biggest whooping in the world. And um, uh, there's a comedian. His name is Mark Lowry. He gave me some great advice growing up. He said to bite the blanket when you are receiving your whooping. And it makes things diminish in pain. And I thought this was the greatest wisdom in the world, and I tried it, and all I ended up with was lint in my mouth. So don't take the advice. It was not good. But, but I, I had to pay for my consequences, and today we're going to focus on a man in the Bible who had to pay for consequences for the decisions that he made when he began storing up these boxes full of junk in his life. He began storing these things in the basement because he didn't want anybody to see them. I didn't want anybody to see my stinky cheese and that I wouldn't eat that cheese, but, but guess what? It got found out anyways, and this man had the same problem. And what I want to do is I, I want to kind of tell you this story in reverse. And what we're going to start with today is his prayer to God. Once he's gone through the consequences that he had to pay for what he had done, for the secrets that he kept, for the things that he um, had done in private and never confessed to God. And this is his prayer. This is the outcome. And we're going to look in Psalm 51 today. And this is what it reads. It says, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Heart, You, God, will not despise. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for revealing within us uh, these things that we have uh, kept hidden, these things that we've kept secret and, and stored away in our basement. God, today I pray, pray that you would reveal those things to us, God, that we wouldn't hold on to them any longer, but we would understand that we can receive grace and mercy when we confess them, when we bring them to you. God, help us to understand and learn from David's mistake and not our own. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Say, ain't no shame in my game. Yeah, come on. We belong in Philly, don't we? South Philly. Let's go. So I want to I give you the backstory of why, why David prayed this thing. And, and the reason why I want to do this is because I want us to understand what we can learn from. I want us to understand that we can learn from David what David did and his mistakes rather than us having to go through these mistakes on our own. And the story for you might not look the same, but the outcome can be the same and avoiding consequences and, and, and asking for prayer and God for, to forgive us before we ever get there. In this story with David, he's, he's at the time he's king over Israel already. And uh, it's the springtime, which typically means that the king would go out to battle. And in this particular instance, David didn't go out to battle. He stayed back home, which is actually a whole nother sermon in and of itself because he wasn't listening to God for what he was supposed to be doing. But we're just going to ignore that bit for just a second. And we're going to focus on, on what took place right after this. So one night, he's, he's staying home. Um, he should be out to battle with his men, but he's staying home during the season and he, he's, he can't sleep one night, and so he goes out on his roof, and he's looking around the city, and he sees this woman bathing on the roof. And now I know that some of you can assume when you bathe, you don't really have any clothes on, so you can imagine what David saw in this instance. And right there, he had an opportunity to, to bounce his eyes, to look away, to not invest in this temptation, but he did. He took the bait. And he began to lust after this woman, and there's one box that he stuffed in his basement. And so when he began to lust after this woman, he, he, he thought about her, and he sent one of his servants to go find out more information about who is this woman. I want to know. I want to know more about this lady. And so he sent word, and, and this woman was uh, Uriah the Hittite's wife and Eliam's daughter, and he knew both of these men. And so uh, in knowing that, he continued to say, all right, I want you to bring that woman to me so that I may lay with her. And so there's number two, there's, there's, um, there's, there's jealousy, the box of jealousy that he began to throw in his basement. And then uh, in this moment, he decides he's going to go ahead and go forth with the act of adultery. So there's the third box that he's throwing down here, this bag of junk, this box of junk. He's beginning to pile these things up. And, and so he takes action and he sleeps with this woman, commits adultery. She goes away, and some time passes, and, and the woman comes back to him and, and, and says, Hey, David, I, I'm with child. 
So David begins to scheme some, some things. He begins to, to work on this box of deceit that he knows he's going to take and, and store in his basement because he doesn't want anybody to see what's going on. He's king over Israel. He can have whatever he wants. He has a, a wife already. He's, he's all set up, but he wants more. He's not, he's not content with what he has. And so he sends for Uriah the Hittite who's out in battle and says, bring him in. I want to talk to him. And he devises this plan to say, I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to ask him about what's going on in war. And, and uh, it's just going to look like a normal thing for me to check up on my men. But what I'm really going to do is I'm going to feed him. I'm going to have him come home. And then he's going to go and lay with his wife and sleep with her. And then it's going to look like he's the one who, who impregnated her. And then, and then my secret is going to be hidden. Nobody's going to know about this box of adultery that I have down here. Nobody's going to see this deceitful plan that I've stored up down here. And he decides to continue with that, and Uriah comes and visits him. He begins to talk to him about how the war is going and how Joab is doing, who is another uh, man, of David, man of David, and he's out to battle. And So he asks him how these things are going, and then he says, why don't you go ahead and, and go home and get some sleep, and then I'll send you back tomorrow, knowing that his intention is for him to go and sleep with Bathsheba that night. But what happened is Uriah goes out to the entrance of the gate, and he sleeps there for the night. And, and David finds this out, and he sends for Uriah again. He said, what, what happened? What's, what's the deal, man? Like, why are, are you not going home with your wife? And he said, your men are out in battle right now guarding uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They're out there uh, risking their lives, and I'm here with you. I can't go and sleep with my wife and do all these things and indulge in the things that I want to do when I've asked them to do uh, what I should be doing right now. He said, as long as you live, David, there's no way I'm doing that. And so David comes up with another plan. He's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get him drunk this time with wine. And then he, he's not going to be thinking clearly. And then he's going to go home and sleep with his wife. So he does that that night and sends him away. Does the same thing. Sleeps at the front gate entrance. Doesn't go sleep with his wife. So David's left with a decision. What do I do? Do I come clean about what I've done? Or do I make another decision? Do I clean out my basement now and face the consequences that I need to face, or, or do I make a different decision and keep my things hidden so that nobody sees? And, and David makes the decision to move forward in his scheme about not letting his basement junk be seen. And so what he does is he sends word to Joab, and he says, what I want you to do is put Uriah at the front of the line, where the war is the strongest and, and the fiercest and, and where the battle is just raging. And then what I want you to do is pull back your men so that he falls by the sword. And so David makes this decision that, that because of what I've done, because of these secrets that I want to hide, I'm going to sacrifice somebody else's life so that I can keep my sins hidden. And, and the crazy part is this thing started with lust. It started with one decision that he chose to pursue. And it led to another, and it led to another, and ultimately now he's offering this other man's life so that he can keep his secrets hidden. And so he dies in battle. The men pull back, and he falls by the sword. Word comes back to David, and, and then Bathsheba hears about it, and she's mourning and, and uh, comes to David. And, and then David takes her as his own wife, and, he, and she bears a son for him. And then a man named Nathan comes to David, a prophet. And he begins to tell them this story about uh, these two men. One was a very rich ruler and one was a very poor man. The rich man had all these sheep and cattle. He had all this stuff, more than he could ever imagine or want or need. And just a plethora of things. And then the poor man has one little lamb. One little lamb that he cares for with everything that he has. He feeds him. He sleeps with him. I mean, just all the time he's with this little lamb. And the rich man finds out that he has somebody coming to visit him. And when the rich man comes to visit him, he says, I want to prepare him a feast. I want to prepare something good. So what this man does, instead of taking from his own cattle and his own plethora of things, he decides to go to the poor man and take his one lamb that he has and offers him as uh, dinner for his guest. And David, at this time, when he's hearing this story, he's just becoming enraged and, and so angry that anybody could ever think of doing this and Nathan looks at him and he says, David, the man is you. You are that man. And in that moment, David realizes what he had done. 
He realizes that, that as hard as he tried to hide this sin, as hard as he tried to keep this thing from everybody else, God saw the entire time. And I think it's so, so funny that, that we as, as, as humans, we try and please everybody else around us. We try and make sure that nobody sees us as, you know, something less than we are making ourselves out to be. We don't want anybody to see our deep, dark secrets and that, that we've done things wrongfully. Yet the entire time, God, the creator, is seeing us. And we think we're hiding these things. We think that we're keeping it from everyone else around us and that we're doing good and doing that. But, but we're piling up a, a bag of lust here and we got a, a box of jealousy here and then we got a, a, a box of murder over here. All the while, God says, I know what you got in your basement. I, I, I see that. I know what you're doing. And then because of that, David has to face these consequences the Lord tells him that, that the sword is not going to leave your kingdom. You're going to face it for the rest of your life because of what you've done. And because of what you've done, I'm taking your son from you. Can you imagine? Was it worth it to give in to that first lust to Bathsheba, to, to murdering Uriah the Hittite and now losing his son because of the consequences that he faced and what we just read is, is the fruit, the outcome of what happened, what God did inside of him. And David began to realize, you know what, God, you see me. My sin is always in front of me, and I always have a decision to turn to the left or to the right. I have that power, and I know that you can forgive me, and I know that I don't want to go back there again. And David decided, you know what, I'm not defined by what I've done. I understand I have to face the consequences of what I've done, but I'm not defined by that. That's not who I am. And I want to read this one more time in verses 7 to 17, and this is the message version. And I want to read this because I believe it holds so much power in its interpretation. It says, soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me to foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. God, let this be the origin. Let this be the starting point of a fresh life, a new life inside of you. And I don't have to worry about all this junk anymore. I don't have to worry about the things that, that have happened to me or the things that I've done or the things that people have called me. This is going to be a brand new start in you, Jesus, because you're going to wash me clean. I got a new life in you. Do not throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Some of you feel like trash today, maybe not so much because of the things you've done, but maybe because of the things that have been done to you, the way you've been treated, the way you've been unloved, the, the way that you haven't been shown grace when you needed it. And today, David's reminding us, God's not going to throw us out with the trash. He's not going to fail to breathe holiness in us. Bring me back from the gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. You mean if I come to church on a Sunday morning, I put a smile on my face, I put a clap in my hands, I jump up and down and lift my hands in worship, and I cry at the altar time, you mean that doesn't please you? When I've got all this junk stored up in the basement, you mean I can look good to other people, but it doesn't please you. It doesn't look good to you, God. Yeah, it doesn't please God. It's nothing to him. Doesn't matter how good we performed. David says, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered, when my mask was taken off, when my basement was opened up so everybody could see. That's when I learned how to worship God because I realized my uncleanliness. I realized the fault in my ways. I realized I can't do this on my own. I realized that I need you, Jesus, to guide my way. Heart shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. When you're hurt, when you're broken, and you're crying tears of pain, and God sees you. He doesn't for a moment pass you by, or, and you don't for a moment go unnoticed to God. 
we just assume that these things that we've done uh, define us. And we learned about this last week as Tori was talking about looking in the mirror and, and hearing what people say about you. We, we believe that these things that we've done or that have happened to us define us, but guess what? You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. God wants to call you a child of God. He wants to call you his own. And that's what he says this morning. He calls you his own. Isn't it odd that, that a decision that you made in 30 minutes, people will judge you 30 years for, while all the time, Jesus completely forgets our sin when we repent for 30 seconds. Isn't that incredible? People will judge you for 30 years for something that you did in 30 minutes, while all the while, Jesus forgets completely what you've done when you repent in 30 seconds. You can't change your past. You can't change your past, but you can make a change in your present to predict your future. There's, a, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, a, f- a fool only trips on what's behind him. So unless you're going backwards to face those things, to walk down memory lane of what you've done, the regret that you have, yeah, you're going to end up stumbling and falling. Continue to walk forward in Jesus Christ and what he's called you. I want to bring up uh, uh, two, two people who I believe that God has touched in an amazing way. They have an incredible story. Would you welcome with me Drew Rush and Sarah Peterson this morning? Come on, give it up for them. I've known Drew for a good while now, and uh, super thankful for our friendship. I'm thankful for um, uh, his servant's heart, for what he gives of himself, and I've just gotten to know Sarah more recently, but man, uh, her story is, is amazing, and, and I believe that, that God wants to use these stories today uh, to connect with you for you to relate with. And so, uh, Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then kind of share your story um, about what God has done in you. Okay, well, I'm Sarah Peterson. Um, I work with children with disabilities. So I have a heart for um, little guys. Um, So my story, it started um, when I was in high school. I had feelings for a guy, and I'll just tell you, to be short, that my, um, I found my self-worth and my identity through relationships with guys, which then led to sex. And um, so I liked somebody for years, and I didn't r- know how to get to be with him, but then he kept, you know, wanting, he kept talking about being promiscuous and whatever, and so then that's what I did. And so then my identity was created because I finally got what I wanted. And the desire of my heart was always to be a wife and to have that love in a relationship. So I found that if I have sex, then I get that love. And so then it goes on and on and I go to high school and go through high school, go to college, and then um, I but I never felt good. I always had, um, I would always get dumped. (laughs) And I'm like, but I'm giving them what they want and they say they love me and then they leave me. I'm not understanding. And through this whole process, I am a Christian. I, you know, I know God. I don't, I just don't have a relationship. And I continue to pray all the time, you know, God, please um, give me that peace. Like I want that relationship. And I always felt that God was saying, that I need to surrender and give up having sex. So I would try it every once in a while when I'd get in a relationship and I'd be like telling the guy, I'm not having sex with you, I'm saving myself for marriage. And then three weeks later, I would give in because I felt like he was gonna leave me. So, um, but then he would leave me anyway, so it was crazy. So then I come home from college and I get in a relationship with a guy who, was a little different than the guys I've dated in the past where he was broken. So, and this goes back to my degrees in psychology, so I think I can fix him. I want to be in this relationship because he needs me, and he's not going to leave me. So we spend 
three years together, we get engaged, and that's what I've always wanted. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a wife. So, um, but then the abuse comes, and he starts to verbally abuse me and make me feel so low that I feel I can't get out, even though I know that God, what God has called me to be and what my identity, like I know that I am uh, a child of the king. Like I know all of this, but I'm so broken, so broken. And so then I, um, you know, I continue on this relationship. I start planning my wedding. And then it was about three months before my wedding. Venues picked, dates set, everything is set. I've got my dress. And I go to my mom at work, and I'm like, I got to get out. I don't know what this looks like. I just have to get out. And um, at this point, I'm not knowing that, the, that God's calling me and that he's, you know, trying to get my attention. I just knew I needed to get out. So I, I do just that. I break up with him. And, um, and then that moment, it was crazy. I, I realized I was finally surrendering that sex to God. I said, you know what, I'm done with this. And he called me and he wants to get back together. And I said to him, the only way that we can get back together is if we stop having sex before marriage and we, um, you know, you have to follow God. You have to follow him. So through this process, we continue to go on and on. And I'm growing and I'm coming to the church and everything's great, but I'm still empty because I'm in this relationship that God has not called me to be in. And finally, I surrender it all. I, I'm like, you know, God, I, my, the desire of my heart has always been to be a wife but then, you know, you've, you're telling me to lay down this relationship. I'm just not understanding. And just like with David where he, you know, he, the consequences that we have where, um, you know, we did all these things and I did all these things and I'm in this relationship, but I still have to lay it down and I have to surrender it. And he lost his son and I lost someone that I wanted to marry and be with. I didn't know at the time that I, you know, he wasn't good for me, but I wanted to be there and th then I'm empty and I'm alone the one thing I did not want to be and I'm like God I turned to you and now I'm alone I'm alone again like I don't understand but this time it was different because I had found my identity through Christ and um, you know he redeemed me and now I am married to the most amazing man in the world yeah. <laughs> and it all was because I surrendered everything to God and Jesus just came in and and you know my identity is now in him and and I saved myself for my wedding night and now we have a God-centered relationship and it's the best relationship I've ever had it's better than any of the relationships in the past so that's that's my story amen yeah and and God is using Brandon and Sarah now in so many amazing aspects, not just inside the church, but, but in what they do. And uh, God's hand is, is reaching through them to other people. And, and we, love, we love having them a, a part of our family and a part of this team. So thank you, guys. And then, Drew, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your story. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the church, in and out. Uh, my family and I, um, you know, growing up, I didn't really grasp who Jesus was. I didn't really grasp the gospel. I didn't know the love that Jesus had for me. Um, you know, it was a it was a routine thing. We would wake up on a Sunday and go to church, and then we would leave church, and we would argue. You know, that was just the plain thing. Like, we were a different, different people inside church than we were at home, you know, and that really affected us. And, you know, growing up, I, I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew, you know, the man... In, in God that I was supposed to be, you know, and then I, I'm in my early teens. I, uh, I'm 13, and my dad left, and that was a big thing that, like, really shook me. It was like, you know, I'm at this point where I really needed a father figure in my life, and then all of a sudden, I get a call one day, and he's gone, and, you know, I, I took that, and I put it in my basement, 
I put it in my metaphorical basement. You know, people would be surrounding me, and I would be like, oh, you know what, it's whatever. You know, things are better now. Like, I'm okay. Like, you know, this is a good thing. You know, everything's fine. I would put a smile on. And for years, that's who I became. And I would just store these things up. I had so many boxes of different things that were caused from this this pain and this, you know, this this happening in my life when I was, you know, a young, a young little kid. And, you know, I had anger, I had distrust, I had so many things that I stored up that I thought I could just push away and just put a face on. And, you know, I was here every Sunday, I would be playing guitar in front of all of you people with a smile on my face. And I would go home and I would have these feelings that I wasn't really cared for. I wasn't loved. And it was because I didn't really know who I was in Jesus. And I thought that, I thought my worth was found in my, my dad leaving. And I thought that him leaving was, you know, my downfall. It was my fault. It was something I did wrong. It was who I was, you know. And this led to so many boxes in my basement. It led to an awful relationship with my mom. It led to an awful relationship with my younger sister that, you know, caused all of these hardships and all of these things that, you know, I would come in here on a Sunday and I would be okay. And then, you know, it, I would go home and things were just different. Mm. And, you know, I got to a point where I just got, you know, I, I, I came to God and I was like, you know, my, my earthly father might not be here. But I started to realize who Jesus was and that he was my heavenly father and he was always going to be there for me. And I had people in my life who, who showed me that, you know, the day I, uh, the day I got my call that my dad was leaving, Brittany and Isaiah showed up to my, my parents' house and picked me and my, my little sister up to go swimming, just to, just to hang out for the day. And, you know, it was something so small and at the time, you know, I still had those things in the basement. I still had those boxes because it was so early. And I still put those, those boxes in the basement after that. But looking back, it was such a turning point in my life to see what Jesus did through people and what he really was. Because that was the biggest thing I have, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to go out and go swimming that day. I didn't really want to do anything, you know, and I was worried about my sister and I was worried about, you know, everything that she was going through. She was so much younger than me at the time. And seeing Jesus work through Brittany and Isaiah that one day, it was such a small thing, but it was something I will literally go to the grave with me because it was such a huge thing in my life that showed me that, you know, Jesus does things in people even though you might not have that, that feeling of, you know, worth and, you know, you have so many things stored up, it, it showed me that people can still be used, you know, and, and there was a God that still loved me. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, things moved on and, you know, I, I would still believe, you know, all of these lies and then, you know, I found Jesus, you know, and now I have somewhat of a relationship with my dad, even though he lives 10 hours away, but I'm seeing things that Jesus is working in me, showing me love, showing me grace that he had for me, and now that I'm able to give to my dad, yeah. and it's, it's, it's a really, really cool thing, Amen. so praise God for that, praise Jesus. Thank you guys so much for sharing, thanks for coming up here today. Thank you. You, you may say, you know, okay, that's, that's awesome. It, it may not look exactly like your story, but I know that God can use them to relate to you with where you are. Everybody's story looks different. And today you may say, okay, well, how do I clean out my basement? I understand that, that, that they had these things that they dealt with. Well, how did they clean out their basement? Well, let me give you four practical steps really quick. I'm going to relate them to the Bible. So if you're taking notes, write these down, down really quick. How do I overcome? Number one, confess to Jesus. Confess to Jesus before it's too late, before you have to face your consequences. Like David did, learn from his mistakes. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Number two, get accountability. Tell somebody. 
Not, not just that person who, who isn't going to care. Not that person that's like, good job, man, you slept with her. You know, no, I mean, it's, why would you tell them? That's not going to help you get anywhere. Tell somebody who you trust, who you know is going to hold you accountable, who's, who's going to talk straight to you and say, look, man, you better turn around now or you're going to be facing these consequences, the same ones that David faced. Get accountability. In James 5.16, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God wants to heal you in this. All you got to do is confess the prayer of a righteous man of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Number three, through prayer and relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So build a relationship with Jesus. Continue to focus on your time with him through prayer, through, uh, through devotion, through your life journal, whatever that may be. Spend time with God and focus on your, your relationship with Jesus. Number four, renouncing and rejecting your sin. This is very important because if you continue to hold on to these things and you continue to look at these things as your identity, then you're going to have struggle. You're going to be walking backwards and you're going to trip over these things if you don't completely renounce these things that, that maybe have happened to you or you've done or that people view you as, God views you as clean. As soon as you accept Jesus into your life, God only sees his perfect lamb who is spotless. So renounce and reject your sin. Somebody say, ain't no shame in my game. You don't have to walk in shame. And then, and then this is the second part. Real quick, we're going to touch on this. Ain't no shame in his name. When I was in junior high, my family was blessed with this vehicle and man, we were so thankful uh, for this thing. It wasn't like a brand new vehicle. It wasn't uh, new by any means. But, but we were really thankful because we were in need of a vehicle. We didn't even tell anybody. They just came to us and they were like, hey, I feel like God has laid on our heart to give you this vehicle. And we were like, man, praise God, that's incredible. So cool. Well, I was in junior high, and, and many of you know, if you, if you have junior hires or you've been around junior hires, well, you've been in junior high at one point in your life. You know how mean they can be. And how much they care about self-image and what other people think about them. It's just an insecure stage of life. And I remember being an insecure junior high little kid having to be pick up in, picked up in the car line. As many of you know what a car line is, you know. Um, uh, you get dropped off, you get picked up in the morning by your parents. And uh, I didn't have a car, obviously. I couldn't drive in junior high. But my dad would come and pick me up. And this, this car that we were gifted with was a 1984 Ford Tempo. Now, the name in and of itself has got to tell you how lame this car looked like, you know, a 1984. And not only was it a 1984 Ford Tempo, it was a baby blue 1984 Ford Tempo. Will you throw that up on the screen for these people to see this beauty? Look at that beauty. Come on, man. Come on. So, so I would have to get dropped off and picked up you know, from school in this thing, and, and as an insecure junior high student, you're hoping your dad is going to pick you up in like a Corvette or like a Lamborghini Diablo, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, dad, get something cool. Go through your midlife crisis so I can live on that. <laughs> he never did. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and so I remember co going out to this car line, um, getting picked up in this thing, and I would wear like a hoodie every day so I could throw the hood up over. Nobody would see me getting in this car. Or like I would walk out there with my friends, and, and here comes my dad pulling up, and I'm like, I am not getting in that car with my friends standing right here. And my dad's like waving at me, come on, get in the car. My friend's like, hey, is that your dad? And I'm like, what, what are you talking Oh, that white-haired old guy? I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. My dad got like gray hair when he was in his 30s, so pray for me, please, that that, that doesn't happen. Uh, his white hair is awesome now, though. I hope it just goes from, like, this color to white. Uh, who knows if that'll happen? Lord Jesus, let it be. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, my friend would turn to talk to somebody else, and then I would dart in the car really fast and be like, Dad, step on the pedal. Let's go, 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 go. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, fire drill. They said, get out of here as fast as you can. He said, this thing's been going on for like a year. What is going on? I'm like, safety first, Dad. Safety first. <laughs> safety first. I was ashamed of this light blue 1984 Ford Tempo. I, I, I praise Jesus that I've grown out of this insecurity because I would drive that 1984 Ford Tempo any day now. Hey, it's a free car, right? <laughs> Come on. 
That's awesome. But I was, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of, of this car in the moment. And in Matthew 10, it says, But whoever des- denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And, and we believe that, that one day we're going to face Jesus. Uh, we're going to face God in his judgment. And it's not just God because the Bible says that Jesus sits at his right hand. And so Jesus is the one who vouches for us. If we have a relationship with him, if we uh, continue to live for him, then God's going to say, yes, this is my good and faithful servant. Welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Or he could look at you and say, depart from me. I don't, I don't know you. You've, you've not done anything to pursue me. You've not told anyone about my name. You've denied me before men, so I'm going to deny you before my father. And I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus to say that about me. I want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There ain't no shame in his name. Uh, you know, William Fay, uh, this man once said, he said, it, many times your witness is sabotaged not by what you do, but what you don't do. So like Amanda was talking earlier here in worship, she decided to listen to the voice of God. And guess what? She has a strong witness now because she uh, told somebody about the love of Jesus Christ, about how he could heal them. And guess what? Now that power is living in that person. All because she did something about it. Paul, the apostle, he said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Check out this cord right here. Many of you have seen this. This is a very long cord, but uh, most of you know that this is an iPhone cord or an iPad cord. It's the older generation because it's got that fat tip. But this holds some value still. You can get this for like, you know, 15, 20 bucks maybe. Uh, but the, the crazy thing is its potential is not reached until you plug this into a power source, right? And the interesting fact of this is it has value just like this, but its true potential is never reached until this end right here is plugged into something else. So take for a minute, this is us right here, and this down here is the power of God that it's plugged into right now. As long as we stay in this state, we are still useless. We can receive the power of God. We can have the power of God in us, but until we plug into something else, God's power cannot be fed through us. So we can become a vessel all we want, but unless we decide that we're going to step out, that we're going to plug into somebody else and let the power of God flow through us, then we're just sitting here looking pretty. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is it. And that's what Paul is saying. I am not ashamed of the, the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to all those who believe. Amen? And, and I think this is so interesting. I believe that the Holy Spirit dropped this one, one little verse on my heart so strongly this week, and it was in Psalm 51. We've already read it. We read it in two different versions. And I want to read these to you again because I believe this is very important. This is what David says. Psalm 51, 13, it says, in the NIV, it says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And then in the message version, it says, give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. And, and here's what I find interesting about this. I read this several times in several different uh, versions, and I read in commentaries because I really wanted to understand why God pointed this verse out to me. Like, why does this matter? Why is this one small verse so important for me to share with these people? And and we're finishing up here, so if the worship team wants to come back uh, uh, up, that's, that's great. But what I found so important about this verse is that typically you can read this and you can say, okay, give me a job teaching rebels your ways so that the lost can find their way home. Well, you may look at this and say, well, he's talking about the same thing, um, the rebels and the lost. And in the other version, it says transgressors and sinners. Well, he's probably talking about the same thing, right? So I began to dive into this passage, passage to really understand what David meant. And uh, I, I consulted some wise counsel because I didn't want to come up here teaching some, some whack theology for something that just came up off the top of my head. I believe the Holy Spirit uh, wants to tell you this. When David is talking about this here, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And this word transgressors in this passage 
means those who know who Jesus is, who know the right thing to do, but have decided to turn against that and do the opposite, which is exactly where David is in this. He, he knew the right thing to do. He's turned around and gone the other way and made his own way, but now he's realized what he's done. So he's, he's asking God, let me teach them. Let me teach transgressors your ways in the, the second part so that sinners will turn back to you so that the lost will be found. And what that means here is those who don't know Jesus, the ones who haven't heard about the life-giving power of Jesus Christ through salvation. And so what David is saying, God, let me teach transgressors your ways. I can relate with them. They know exactly where I've been. Let me teach transgressors your ways. Let them plug into you so that they can become a vessel then to bring salvation to those who have not seen, to the lost, to, to, to the ones who are sinners. God, let me be used. Let me plug into your power so you can flow through me. Use me as a vessel to bring salvation to others. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you would say, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I, I've been a rebel. I've been a transgressor. But I want to reach outside of myself. I don't want to just be a useless cord. I, want, I don't want to be a useless vessel that has the potential to have power flow through it, but nothing happening because I'm not stepping outside of these walls. I'm not talking to my coworker. I'm not talking to my, my uncle who, who has been removed twice from our family. I'm not, I'm not talking to my sister who I don't have a relationship with anymore. God says, I want to use you, and you know the right thing to do. You know that, that now that you've turned back from your old ways that you can reach out to the lost and tell them about the forgiveness that I have, the hope that I have for them, the healing that I have for them. Are you willing to stand up and say, just like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning and proclaim that, just begin to proclaim that, God, I'm not ashamed. There ain't no shame in your name today, Jesus. God, I don't have to live in my shame of my, of my past, of the junk that I've stored up in my basement. God, I don't have to live in this anymore because you come in and you say, get this junk out of here. Let's clean it up. Let's clean this stuff up together. There's no more reason for it to be here anymore because you found hope in me. You found a new life in me. There's no reason that the power should be sitting there and that nobody can, can find me anymore. And, and I, I want to show you what this physically looks like today. Uh, is there like a younger guy in here or even a girl who uh, doesn't own a guitar and maybe wants to learn how to play guitar? Just slip up your hand real quick. Just say, yeah, I would, I would love to have a guitar to learn how to play. Awesome. Kyle, come up here. Huh. This is awesome. I'm so glad God chose you for this. This, this guitar, we, we were blessed with this guitar a little while ago. Somebody gave us this. And, and if, you want to, uh, if you want me to be honest this morning, this has been sitting in my basement. It's been sitting in my basement. And when I was going through all this stuff, you know, to bring all this junk up here, God said, bring this. I want you to show them through that verse that I laid on, on, on your heart. What, what that looks like physically. And so I was given this. And what I've been doing with this is letting it sit in my basement just collecting dust. And so many of us in our lives, God has given us the power. He's given us the grace. He's given us complete forgiveness of our sins. Yet we take those things and we store them in the basement for no one to see, just to hold on to for ourselves. We begin hoarding these things because we feel like they're great. These are awesome gifts. I love that. That is so cool, Jesus. I'm gonna put that in my basement. What good is it if a guitar is sitting in my basement not being used? And God says today, if you plug into me, if you take the things that I've given you and then you plug it into somebody else and you give it to them, then they're going to experience a new life in you. And now the power is flowing into Kyle right now so that he can experience a new life. And, and I'm not saying that, that this guitar here is powerful. This is not what you, I'm not telling you to go clean out your basement and start giving it to people. God just wanted me to show you what this looks like in a, in a physical way. You have the power, you have his love, you have his forgiveness, his hope that you can let flow through you and give to other people. But the crazy thing is, it, it's their decision of whether or not they're gonna accept it. It's our job to tell whether they're gonna accept or not. 
It's, it's Kyle's job now to decide if he's going to learn how to play this guitar or not. I can give it to him. I can, do, I can give everything that God has given to me. But unless Kyle makes a decision, then it's just going to sit there and collect dust in his basement. Thanks for joining us up here. Give a hand for Kyle this morning. God wants to see that for you. He wants to help clear out your basement this morning. And when you do that, guess what? You don't have to do anything else, but, but, but let him clear it out. And then you get to tell other people. There's no hoops that you got to jump through. You don't have to jump up and down and clap your hands 10 times, stand on your head. None of that. Just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's what Romans 10.9 declares. So this morning, if you're here today and you say, I got to clean some things out of my basement and I need God's help to do that. I need to confess some things to God. I need to find myself an accountability partner. I need to work on my relationship with him. And then I need to denounce these sins that, that have claimed me, that have claimed rule over me. If you're here this morning, you say, that's me. Would you make a move this morning? And if you feel uncomfortable with that, that's okay. Just stay right where you are. Just make a move in your heart today. But these altars are open for you. If that's you, make a move this morning. Say, God, I want you to clear it out. today and you say, man, I, I want to say there ain't no shame in his name. I want to I be like that. I want to be the one who takes those things that you've given me, God, and let it flow through me. I want to be this vessel that can be plugged into someone else, into something else, and let your power flow through them. If you want to say, I, I'm not ashamed anymore of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then would you, would you make a move down here this morning and say, I'm all in, God. I'm all for you. Come on, make a move this morning. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Thank you, God. this morning and, and, and you say I, I hear what you're saying but I don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus I got a lot of junk in my basement but I, I don't even know what the first step is I want to share with you today how you can accept Jesus as your Savior in Romans 10 9 it says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's as simple as that just declare with your mouth, believe in your heart, and God will save you right where you are. We're not going to uh, embarrass you, make you raise your hand or come out to the front, but if you want to receive that today, God has that for you. Just declare it with your mouth. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. God, I understand that you rose from the dead, and, and I want to say thank you. Lord, would you forgive my sins? Would you clean out my basement? Would you help me get rid of these things? Because I want to experience you today. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, would you give it up for those who've made a commitment to follow Jesus? Amen. Amen.
I want to tell you three really quick things if you decided that you want to follow Jesus today. Here's, here's three things that I encourage you to do. Number one, get yourself a Bible. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it uh, tells about Jesus. <laughs> it's a Bible that tells about Jesus. Grab one of those. And if you, if you can't afford one, come to us. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll provide one for you. Uh, number two, I want you to tell somebody. Tell somebody about the new life that you found in Jesus Christ today. Tell somebody about what he's done for you, how he's helped you clean out your basement. You found a new life in him. And then lastly, get plugged into a local church. We love that you came today. We love that you chose to come to the power place. But if the power place is not the home for you, if, you, if maybe, you know, we're too loud, <laughs> then, then we, there's plenty of churches that we'd love to kind of point you in the direction of. We just want you to get involved in a local church, one that believes the Bible and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, one more time. Would you get up, give it up for Jesus today? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, go today knowing that you got a clean basement. Go today knowing that you are a vessel to be uh, flowed through with the power of Jesus Christ to reach somebody else. Would you reach somebody this week? Tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe God laid somebody on your, on your mind or your heart to do that this week. Would you go in Jesus' name and do that today? Be blessed this week, and we'll see you again soon.